Welcome to LJ's Open Forum, and I'm your host, Michelle Johnson. Just a great day today, just to sit down and record. I want to just start out by saying thank you to all of those that are listening, that are commenting, that are giving great advice. I really appreciate it. I want to grow this podcast to something great, and I know that it cannot be done without all of your help and your assistance. So please share on Facebook, share on Instagram, and listen on Spotify. And guess what, people? I am now on Apple Podcasts, so you can listen to me there. You can listen to me on Breaker. Um, You can listen to me just on Google. So whatever you prefer on what platform, you can come through and just listen and enjoy these podcasts. Today, I'm going to do a continuation of Rosa's story. We started there um, a week ago, and again, we had another murder in Atlanta, Georgia of Rayshard Brooks, and I wanted to give my um, take and my feelings from the heart on his death, rather his murder. So I wanted to just move in and um, discuss him a little bit. That was our last podcast. And today I'm going to go back to some more of Rosa's story so we can continue that. Because as you know, Rosa was my grandmother. She was born March the 23rd, 1910 in Bowman, Georgia. Um, She was one of seven kids um, to parents, Rossi Rucker and Cullen Rucker. And I talked a little bit about how hard it was for them then. Um, just to think about a father who was born into slavery and not too long after that um, slavery ended. You know, we just celebrated Juneteenth Day here in, um, across the nation and in Philadelphia. And we talked about what Juneteenth meant to us um, being free from slavery Um, but never still being truly free. So when I think about my great-grandfather being born into slavery, and then I think about, you know, him and his his wife, my my great-grandmother, raising their children, it had to be a hard thing living in that time. We have to be mindful of history, of our African-American history, but not just a broad brush of the African-American history. We have to look at our family history and how it has affected us and um, generational we talk a lot about this in the black um, families we talk about generational curses if you've never heard what it um, or understand what a um, generational curse is um, what we um, define it is we define it as you know something that has gone on in your family forever for centuries and we're still doing that you ever heard the word that you know that running that family you know that runs in their family so you better leave that guy or that girl alone because you know alcoholism runs in that family girl they gotta watch out because they got all kind of things going on up in there that you don't want to know about and you don't want to take your children to that house because they might get abused over there and you know he liked to be his wife so those all the things that they would say um, back in the day. And to this day, they still say, you know, that run in the family. It runs in the family. And those are what we kind of define as something that occurs in the history in your family that has never changed or never ended. And it's still there today. 
Um, so that's what we call um, some point of a generational curse. Things that run in the family like that. I'm sure people have talked about, well, you know, diabetes run in the family or high blood pressure runs in the family. So those are things also that we can try to stop. And I say stop the bucks here. Um, what I mean is we have to try to live a little differently and we have to try to do things differently in, in order to end a generational issue or curse as they used to call it. And my family would always talk about things like that ran in the family. So you don't need to go with that guy because this is what happens. And you know, in the South, you know, everyone in a little town, like where my grandparents eventually landed and stayed for years, my great grandparents, I mean, um, Statesville, North Carolina is a small, like you could ride through there in like probably five minutes. I don't even think five minutes. And everyone knew everyone and so they would know your family and your family history and those of others and they would tell you girl don't you mess with that boy his family got issues so we would always look at those things but we never would come up with a conclusion or a, a remedy for it how to stop a generational curse so when you go back and you look at my grandmother's story Rose's story you see a lot of those things they struggled with my great-grandfather, Cullen Rucker. They struggled with him because he, he was a mean and hateful man. And I go back as far as to look at um, stories that my grandmother told me about her brother, Napoleon Rucker, and we called him Uncle Jim. And he was my great-uncle. And he was, he was a tall, gentle man and loving and was always telling a joke to everyone. And everyone loved him. But he left, you know, their home as a young man. And the story goes, as the story goes, he walked his way all the way past the Mason-Dixon line to the north for a better life and also to get away from the anger, the abuse of, our great -grand of my great-grandfather. So that tells you what made Cullen Rucker so angry, so hateful, so mean, um, so abusive, to his children that they all wanted to get away from him and escape him. We talked a little bit about it in um, the last episode of Rosa's story of how she, in order to get out of that household, because when my great-grandmother, Rossi, died, you know, then you come into, he marries another woman. She brings her kids in. The whole household changes for, for even, it was bad at one point, but I think, great-grandma Rossi was like a buffer in the middle. Then you get the next woman comes in that, you know, what do we say? She's the evil stepmother. That's what the story they all told, that they just didn't like this woman. She didn't like them. And, and great-grandfather believed every lie she told about them, and they would get terrible beatings um, with the belt from this man. I told you um, in the last episode that when when they did not tell the, the story of what really happened to BJ, their little sister, with between BJ and um, Great Aunt Hazel, and nobody really knew, and BJ suffered and um, with a broken jaw and blood poisoning and died, you know, Aunt Roberta took the brunt of that anger, and she was beaten mercilessly um, because of that. And then later on, as a as a young, a preteen, I could tell that she had back issues, and my grandmother said that these were from the beatings that their dad gave them. And at the time, it didn't resonate um, with me because I'm a young child. 
But now as I'm older and I recall all of the stories that he was an abuser and they all wanted to escape him for a better life or for rest from this man, freedom from this man, a breath of fresh air from this man. And even when my grandmother told me when he was dying, and I don't know what he died of. We didn't get into the storyline of that. She didn't talk about it. She said when he was older and he was dying, um, he really wanted to see Uncle Jim, which is Napoleon. And Uncle Jim did not come back to North Carolina for his funeral. And the hatred there, not so much the hatred, but the disappointment. How could you be someone's father and you want to beat them, you want to abuse them, you want to bully them? And so he did not come back for his funeral. And my grandmother said that that was so far, so much of the hurt and things that occurred when they were younger, you know, he did not want to come back and, and relive it. And that's what I really truly believe, that he didn't want to relive that. So it's hard in a family when we have generational issues such as that and then they still do move forward in other ways in the future you know my brother um john Irvin little jr we used to call him junior he passed away in 2000 at the age of 50 from a heart attack but he always wanted to hold on too tight to something or to women and he would he would abuse them and I then go back and think, hey, there's great grandfather there. There's there's something there that that moved forward in the future that he couldn't help himself to stop even until his death. He still wanted to hold on so tight to things and he wanted to control it. And if it, it didn't go the way he wanted to, then he would hit the woman or verbally abuse, wouldn't let her go where she wanted to go and these were not just one or two but multiple women you know that he was with and his last wife um I can remember this story we were going to go out and I think we were going to go, go out to a um to just dinner just the sister-in-laws um we were going to go out have a little good time and just talk and then come home his wife was like she had to ask him if she could go and he told her no. And you know, the other wives were like, wow. But he he tried to control that much. And that's why that, that marriage ended terribly. Because he just couldn't be outside looking in. He was a gentle, warm person. But then when he's in that relationship, he's a controlling, angry person. So those are things, too, that, hey, there's, there's great-grandfather Cullen. And now... And, you know, in the 80s to the 2000s, up to 2000 when he passed away, he had the same struggles in his life. And we often wonder, you know, did anyone ever talk or did Uncle, did, uh, did my brother Junior realize this and try to get help? Mental health, mental health is an issue in the black community. And we don't go out and try to um, talk about it try to solve it a lot of times we live with it and this is why you get the wording generational issues generational curses that runs in that family or this family so we have to look at those and the parallels and and see how we can solve it but again with everybody running away from great-grandfather Cullen you know when they ran away it wasn't you know everybody's life wasn't great Remember, we were living in the midst of Jim Crow laws, black codes, everything that could possibly be there 
for a black family to not survive and not make it through. And you had things like that. So the blessing of our family was that when I look back on the history and I talk to my grandmother, I talk to other cousins that are much older than I, and we discuss it, we were truly blessed in this. You didn't, you didn't hear about us, their, my ancestors being in prison, things like that happening or um, being abused during the Jim Crow laws. If they were, they didn't tell us, you know, and I'm sure things occurred. You had to know your place and you have to stay in your place and, and, and be in your place quite well during that time in order to try and to survive that time. So I understand that, yeah, maybe the way they acted, the way they were treated, we don't know everything, but they could tell you that um, it was hard. They endured, but they made it through. And look, we're here today. I'm here today podcasting, something I couldn't do. I, I, I couldn't get a job on a radio station. I couldn't get a job, you know, barely as a news reporter well, those things were hard to do unless they were specifically in our black community and we had the education to do so. So when you look at what occurred with great uncle Jim, Napoleon Rucker, and how he left and then, you know, years later, grandfather, great grandfather died and no one never came. Well, he didn't come to his funeral. You know, the other children were there. We look at that. We kind of looked at my grandmother and we're going to go back to Rosa when she married at age 12 lied and said she was 13 and she married OB Gant uh, my grandfather and they tried to make a go of their life together as a married couple however that um, did not do well you know great granddad granddad was you know out there running around with women and you know there wasn't much money in the household and remember remember in all of this you know she's born in 1910 so, you know, when 1920 hits, she's, she's 10 years old, you know. And then two years later, she's married. And, you know, by the time we hit 29, you know, we got, you know, thir- 1930. You know, she's like 20, you know, 20 years old at that time. And she has a family, a growing family, and she's a widow. Because, because he's, what the story says is he was murdered. Um... He had stomach issues. He thought he was he was probably poisoned, and I say that you know he, he could have been poisoned messing around with all those women during that time. People like to poison you. Hey, that's something that could have happened to him. And she had to work um, as a maid, as a cook, any job that she could get to try to support her home. And during that time, when I look back, because now I'm older, and I see that my mother and my uncle suffered. Um, they had to be with different family members. You know, they, they had to live in different cities. They were abused. Um, one of my uncles, Uncle Joyce, had to, had to back in the day, you know, tap dance out there to try to make a little change in his pocket to, to survive. Later on, he worked as a, you know, as a cleaner. You know what? There wasn't a lot of positions there for a person uh, with no education and of um, that is colored, Negro, black. African-American you know we didn't get an education it wasn't far if you got an education it wasn't a lot you could do but at least in some communities you could build up something you know as a doctor a lawyer a nurse only in the black community you could only service the blacks couldn't service the white people because you know that might scare them um you, you you look at now why they talk about 1921 and the Tulsa Oklahoma 
um, riots and murders all because of a woman in the elevator in the city that, you know, but the story was deeper than that. Tulsa, Oklahoma. So when we did, when we did succeed and we rose up and we worked well and we had businesses and, you know, we did well, then they upset and jealous and envious and then they want to break it down. So they didn't want to go in and lynch you, hang you, burn you out and destroy cities because of that. And, you know, it's real easy to make people hate you. And because if they say you're the cause of all their problems and sufferings, then they can then turn around and turn them against you. And all of a sudden you have 2020 and the same thing under this administration is happening. You know, the minority is the cause of you suffering, you know, not you yourself, but because of you, not because you don't have any education not because you didn't try to go to school or try to make a better life for yourself because the um, black people, the Hispanic, the Asians, you know, every minority that you could think of is the cause and the reason why you're um, living in a shack in the backwoods. So we have to look at that as a grouping of people and say that nobody, you know, specifically is the cause of the reason why I'm where I act. You know, education is the key and we need to push. My grandmother Rosa talked about education. She was only able to go to the third grade because they had to share crop. And if you remember what I said last episode, when you're a sharecropper, you're just sharing the crop with the owner of the land. And a lot of times they don't want to share with you because you're black and they can get away with not paying you or not giving you what you deserve or need. So you pull your children out of school to work the land. Um, so my grandmother never graduated high school you know, during that time. However, she still educated herself by reading and learning on her own, and that, that helped her move through. Now, the parallel to that is that my, my mother and my uncles didn't learn to read well. And I think, again, you go back to it, could have ran in the family, but I don't think it was on the side of the Rutgers um, side of the family. I think it might have been on her husband, my grandfather's side of the family. Because my mother struggled to read. I mean, even when um, I, I asked her to go to um, school to learn. And you know how you could go to literacy classes in the cities. And they are fantastic. Anybody that struggles right now that's listening to this podcast, that struggles to read. Um, and don't understand why and have never looked into it. You know, needs to go to, you know, a mental health provider. And also then look at trying to learn how to read through the literacy programs that are available in your states, cities, and counties. Because it is a revelation, an eye-opening um, event to actually learn to read. So my mother, my grandmother read very well um, and comprehended very well. However, my mother, my uncles, they were barely in school because my grandmother was working. So Rosa was out there working, trying to make it for the family, but she couldn't ensure that they were in school. She couldn't ensure that they learned anything because remember, let's go back. Her dad pulled her out of school at, you know, in the third grade. So school didn't matter to them. And so when she looked at her children, I don't know how much it really mattered to her early on. You know, when we jump up into the 70s and 80s when she lived with us, she made sure I was in school every day. I was a kid, literally, that hated school. I hated school because of these reasons. 
Um, I hated school because I was so shy, um, so withdrawn that it was hard for me to talk to people, for me to, you know, be able to, to, to want to even say anything. Like if you took something from me that I had did a paper or if I had did a painting and the teacher at the end of the day wanted to give them all back, I wouldn't even raise my hand. Um, I was so scared of school and this lasted, you know, which was not a good thing. These things um, occurred in my childhood. Abuses that occurred from other family members all affected me later um, in school. So I hated school. You know, people were thinking, oh, something's wrong for her. She doesn't want to go to school. I barely graduated school with a C average. Um, it was a miracle that I went to college. But I know that the hand and in the, in, in the pushing of my grandmother affected me in a wonderful way. And um, when I finally did go to college, I mean, I graduated in 1990 with a bachelor's degree with a 3.5 average. And I never struggled in college at all. I never struggled academically at all. I always had a great average in college. And it didn't mean that I didn't learn anything in school. I think it was just the things that happened to me um, in my household or in households affected me mentally and and I was not prepared to be a outgoing person in school so these are again we go back to generational issues we go back to um, things that people don't talk about that occur in families that they don't want to say but for my mother and her brothers they struggle because of this educational wise and when my to go back to when my mother I told her in the 80s you know, I was a young kid, then probably like 15, 16. And I was like, you have to learn to read. You have to go to school. These are people that can't help you to learn at home because they can't read. You have to do everything for them. Like you have to, you write out receipts. You have to write out bills. You have to write out checks. You have to do all those things because really all she could do was sign her name. And it, she struggled to be able to read. I remember one time she wanted to, she was in Sunday school class, my mother, and this is hurtful. It was hurtful to me as a child, but she had practiced literally all week on a verse in the Bible because she had like lined up where she sat in the pew and she knew when they got to that part, she would be able to read that part in the Bible study book. So she practiced that all week to understand how to read. And guess what happened? On the day that it was time, somebody else read before her that was, you know, near her. And it took it took her to a, a totally different verse in the Bible, and she couldn't read it. And that's something that's so hurtful, she just didn't. Today it's 2020, and I believe that she was dyslexic. But there was nobody to, to look at that, to help you with that during those times. It wasn't that she couldn't learn how to read or she, it was that she was dyslex, dyslexic and she saw things differently. She learned differently. And I think that was even for my other uncles that they had issues with, with learning to read after the fact. Like you could be in school and not learn how to read, but once somebody teaches you, you should, you should be able to catch on. And for them, it was hard. So I think that's something that could have been on my grandfather's side of the family because I know I never struggled to read and my dad's side of the family we never struggled to read and you know 
I just hated to go. I just hated school, high school. But once I was felt I was free in college, I was a success in college, and I did quite well. So I think that all of those things affected my mother and her brother, her siblings, and my grandmother was affected by being pulled out of school and the escape of abuse from her father. So when she went to New York and she lived there. She worked for a family, and their name was the Leonards. And I remember she really liked working for them. They were a Jewish family. And one thing that Mr. Leonard did, and I don't know. I really wish you would comment on this. The one thing he did when she worked for them in Long Island, um, he made sure that taxes were taken out. Um, because he felt that when she retired, when she stopped working, she needed to receive some form of Social Security. So I think that was fantastic of him to do because you know back then you would work as a maid as an African American woman or as a, a, a African American man you would work somewhere and you just work to get paid from sun up to sundown and they would never have taxes they would just give you money and when it was time you would just get a little bit of Social Security or you try to get something because remember Social Security didn't really exist until like the 30s I think the mid 30s I'm gonna look that up if anybody knows give me a date because. When that existed, prior to that, you know, you would just get old and you would live with your family and you might not have anything saved. You would just be surviving. And that is the way it was for many people, not only African-Americans, for many people during that time. So he felt that she had to have money and that she needed something when she retired. So he made sure that taxes were taken out. And she really loved working for that family. She cooked for them. And was a maid for them for years. Um, her, she would take my brothers and my my cousins up to stay with them during the summer, and then the kids really loved it. Um, the lady of the house really, really was excited to have kids in the house. So they were really, really nice people to work for. Um, and she ended up retiring from them, and she came back to Philadelphia, and she was living. Um, actually in Southwest Philadelphia on May Street and the address was 1623 May Street and she lived there with her sister her sister Hazel until Hazel was in a nursing home and she came to move in with us when we moved we used to actually live 1625 May Street and then when my dad started working with the post office and he was driving 18 wheelers and he was making a good amount of money, and my mom were able to save. They moved to where I still have this house, 5908 Warrington Avenue. And that address here in Philly, you know, I want to keep this house because of how hard they worked to get it and how hard, you know, they worked to sustain it. And that's why I kind of still have it. I think if I ever move, because I'm looking at a condo, that I would actually still hold on to this house for sentimental reasons and because they worked so hard to get it and to have it and to pay it off. Um, so when we go back and look at what my grandmother did in New York and how she survived there later on, this is how everybody started moving to New York. My uncles went to New York. All of my uncles went there except for my Uncle Arthur who remained in Statesville, North Carolina until his death. And um, my mother who went to Philadelphia, who came here to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. All of my siblings were born in North Carolina. I was born here in Philadelphia. 
Now, mostly everyone else, even her nieces and them came and at some point stayed in New York um, because they all wanted to come up to see what it was like and how it was to live there and how exciting it was during that time for black people there. You remember, you know, you're in New York, you're not on the back of the bus or on the back of the train. You're just riding. You're trying to make it and you have a job and you're trying to succeed. I mean, down south, we were still on the back of the buses in, in the 50s, you know. Jim Crow laws were still in effect. You know, Martin Luther King was just coming into prominence and trying to get us, you know, to see that we could be better, do better, live better, um, integrate into life and be accepted. And people looking at us not by the color of our skin, but how our character is, how good of a person or bad of a person we are. Now, today, we're still talking about the same thing looking at people not by the color of their skin but the content of their character we still are having a hard time doing this and it's crazy I mean when you look at from 1910 to when my grandmother passed away in 1990 the struggle that, that we were still going through in the middle of that time and we're still doing it today we're still fighting for generational issues to be eradicated racism to end um, people to be accepted for who they are and, and treated equally. You know, prison reform. Everything that we can constantly try to move, my grandmother lived through. She lived through each and everything. And she lived through, you know, war wars, World War One, Two, you know, the Korean War, Vietnam War, you know, everything that could happen, she kind of lived through. So we look at that now and we have to look back on history. We have to look back on how history has affected us in a negative way as well as positive. Because I look at history for me as a research mechanism for me to go back and see how I cannot make the same mistakes that they made during the time they made them. How I can do better with my family during this time. You know, how I'm not, because I was abused, be an abuser. It's, those are the things that we have to stop when I say the bucks stop here. The bucks have to stop there. So we're going to continue on with Rosa's story and get a little bit more into my mother and my uncles and cousins and talk a little bit about things that have happened to them in their life as well as me to uplift you, to lift you up about things in your life that's going on right now. So please listen to me um, on Spotify, listen to me on Apple Podcasts, which I'm excited about, listen to me on Breaker, on Anchor. And please, on my website, www.ljsopenforumpodcast.com. And you can listen to every episode that I submit for publishing. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. And we will get into the next episode um, a little bit more about her time in New York. And some stories that they had to tell. Because some of this stuff is funny. Some of it's sad. But all of it has contributed to the outcome and where we are today so again this is lj's open forum and i'm michelle johnson and i will see you soon have a great day